Hello, and welcome to this Solace Church podcast. Thanks for tuning in. We pray that God speaks to you today through this message. For more sermon content and information, visit solacechurch.com. So Colossians chapter 1, and as Andrew was saying last week, um, he closed out John 21, and there was this scene where Jesus shows up on the beach, and the disciples are on a boat. They had gone fishing again, and uh, Peter jumps out. And really, one of the major highlights of that whole a chapter is when uh, Jesus restores Peter, right? Just a couple days before uh, Jesus, uh, sorry, Peter made it extremely, uh, he went to great lengths to really show and, and to trick people into believing that he was not associated with Jesus. He denied Jesus. What made it worse is that when Jesus told him, hey, you're going to do that, you're going to deny me, he was like, no, I'm not going to do that. These guys, all these guys, they might deny you, but I will never do that. So I can just imagine this whole thing happens, Jesus is arrested, and here comes the, the situation. Peter denies him once, twice, and then I believe it says like he even curses to try to, to persuade the people to believe. Like, I don't know this guy. I have nothing to do with him. I'm not one of his followers. And then they make eye, he makes eye contact with Jesus. Jesus dies, resurrects. Now, even after knowing that Jesus is alive again, there's still got to be some heavy emotion, heavy feeling, heavy burden on Peter's soldier, uh, shoulders, knowing that, man, I denied him. He said, I said I wouldn't do it, and I did it. And then Jesus shows up, and really, like, the only, only Jesus can do something like this. And he very personal, personally, very, in a very powerful way, he restores Peter, and he and now Peter's relationship with Jesus is reconciled, and three times Peter denies him, three times Jesus has him profess his love for him. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And uh, it's just incredible. It's an incredible thing. And here's uh, what I want to get at with that whole thing, because what we're going to talk about today is, is that power of reconciliation that Jesus has, right? And so the first thing is Jesus has the power to reconcile us to himself, Right? We're all like Peter. At some point or another, we either needed to be reconciled or we still need to be reconciled with Christ. And the Bible tells us that apart from Christ, we are God's enemies. Now, when I first learned that and I first understood that, it was ironic to me because I grew up my whole life believing that me and God were good. So I thought because, you know, I went to church on certain days of the year and I was part of a religious system and did some certain rituals, I thought, that's it, me and God are good. Like, there's no, I'm not his enemy. I even walked around, If I don't know if you guys remember, but there was a point where there was these shirts that said, Jesus is my homeboy. And they were really popular. And I, I even had one of those. And I walked around letting the whole world see, hey, Jesus is my homeboy, ironically, he was my enemy. According to God's word, he was my enemy, and I had no idea. <clears throat> and there's, there's a lot of people out there just like me, just like I, how I was, and uh, that have this idea, hey, yeah, me and God are good. I'm right with God. So I want to talk about, the first point I want to talk about is how Jesus reconciles us to himself. And if you were like me, you're probably wondering, like, wait a minute, I think I'm good with God. What makes you say I'm not? Why do you think I'm not? And so to know the, the answer to that question, we got to take it back. We take it all the way back to the beginning. Adam and Eve, God created man. He created everything. Everything was perfect, created all the trees. There was, everything was great. And then God said, hey, that one tree over there, don't eat from it. And 
as we do, as humankind does, what did they do? They went to that tree and they ended up getting deceived by the serpent. And both of them, Adam and Eve, both sinned against God. And from that day, sin entered the world and man is now has been separated from God. Now, this sin that Adam and Eve committed is imputed on us, right? If you read um, in Psalm 51, David is repenting. This is when uh, the sin that he committed with Bathsheba and he, how he murdered Uriah was uncovered, and he's repenting before the Lord, and he traces his sin back to his, uh, all the way back to his birth. In Psalm 51, he says, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. And see, I, this really uh, didn't hit home for me until I became a parent, right? Because when I was a kid, I don't really remember what I did. It was just part of being a kid. But when you become a parent, you realize this truth. Like, we are born in iniquity. There is sin in us. It's not something we have to teach. Like, I don't have to teach my kids to sin. They just do that automatically. And I'm going to share with you guys a story recently. I mean, there's, there's a couple. But most recently, my daughter's... Um, my kids have this playroom in our house, and uh, my daughter, Zoe, the oldest one, she loves to go in there and draw, and she makes all these, I mean, she's, she's going to be like the next Picasso. She's an incredible artist, and she goes in there and draws all these things. Well, she knows that she's not supposed to draw on the walls or on the furniture. And so I walk in there, and I see, you know, she has this little white chair, and scribbled on the chair is Isabella. Like Isabella, her sister's name, it just says Isabella. I don't know. Maybe she's aspiring to be a graffiti artist. I don't know. But it says Isabella on there. And I'm like, Zoe, who did this? And she's like, um, I don't know. And I'm like, Zoe, who did this? And she's like, I don't know. Maybe it was Micah. Micah is her two-year-old little brother who does not know how to write or read or anything. But she looked at me in the eyes and said, Micah did that. And then the funny part is I asked her sister, Isabella, who did this? And she's like, she wasn't even there. She's like, I don't know. Maybe it was a monster. And, uh, but the, 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 the crazy thing is that my daughter, out of whatever reason, lies. And she says, Isabella wrote that. Uh, she said, Micah wrote that. So I'm like, all right, your two-year-old brother knows how to spell your sister's name perfectly and do it really nice on a chair, right? And then she like nods her head, yes. And so finally, I said, here, you're getting in trouble for two reasons. You're getting in trouble, one, for writing on the furniture after we told you, but even greater than that, what you're really getting in trouble for is for lying. And we don't have to teach our kids that. It's just we have to teach them not to do these things. And so that, all that is evidence that we are, the sin is in us. It's in our nature. It's in our children. It's in us. And here's the, the, the crazy part about that. Here's the, one of the weightier things of that is because God is eternal, our offense towards him carries an eternal consequence. Right, so when sin entered the world, since that time, man has been trying to make up that relationship. Man has been trying on their own to try and reconcile this relationship with God that was affected by sin. And so we look out in the world and we see people, they're going to start doing things and doing certain rituals and doing certain practices. Others abstain and take vows of, of, of poverty. And there's people that actually inflict pain on themselves. Like they actually injure themselves trying to make up and atone for the sins and hope that, man, if I, if I punish myself, then God would forgive me. And there's all kinds of stuff we see. There's people that say, that, that give, and they're like, well, if, if I just, I'm, I, I'm sinful, but if I just give, then God will remember me when I get to heaven. He'll remember that I gave the church this much money. 
da 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 And there's, there's all these things that people try to do, but there's a problem with that, and we know what this is. The Bible says the wages of sin is death, right? That's eternal separation from God. And so two things. If we were able to do something and atone for our sins ourselves, then one, Jesus died in vain, right? Jesus didn't have to die if all I had to do was, like, give some money or or abstain from certain things, or do certain things, or join a religion. If that was the case, then Jesus died in vain. The second thing, if that was the case, then God would not really be a just judge. All right, the example I can think of, and I heard this a long time ago, is imagine two people steal a car, and they're, it's, they're sentenced to 10 years in jail. And uh, they, go to, uh, they go to court, but one of them, before he goes to court, he goes to the judge's house, and he cleans his car, he gives money to his kids. He paints the house. He does all this good work for the judge. The other one doesn't do any of that, and they both go before the judge. And then the first one says, hey, judge. Uh, the judge says, hey, you're guilty. You got 10 years in prison. But you know what? You gave my kids some money. You did wash my car. You took care of my people. You know what? I'll just give you three years instead. And then for the other one, he says, well, the law says 10 years, and you really didn't do anything for me, so you're going to go to jail for 10 years. That judge would not last very long on his post. That is not being a just judge because it doesn't matter what you did for the judge. The law is the law. And so God said the wages of sin is death. So the only way to really pay for our sins is death. Now this is, for some of us, we hear this many times. For, some, for others, you might be hearing this for the first time. Here's the, the power of social media is that this message is on Facebook, and I don't know who's sharing it, and it's out there. And so we, I never want to assume that, hey, maybe, maybe uh, everybody knows this already. Because I walked into a church one day, and I had no clue. It was the first time I heard this message. And, but it's a very hard truth to accept. And it was for me back then because I had to come face to face with the fact that everything I was ever taught Everything I knew, all this religious practices and things that I committed to were wrong. And many people don't want to face that. It was difficult for me to face that. It's like, no, what are you talking about? My whole family has been doing this. For ages we've been doing this. Oh, I've committed so much to this. I've done all this. And now you're going to tell me that it has, none of that helps out with my, me being reconciled to God? It's hard to accept. But once we accept it, it leads us to that question that's asked time and time again. We see it in the scriptures, and it says, how can I be saved? So I ask you to turn to Colossians 1, and I'm going to start reading in verse 21, and it says this. And you, who once were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he has reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight, if indeed you continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast, and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you heard, which was preached to every creature under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. So right there in verse 21, we see it. And you, he's speaking to Christian, were once alienated and enemies. We were all once, apart from Christ, we were alienated and we were enemies. This sin caused us to become that way. And the only way that sin is paid for, as it says in this verse, is by the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So now that sin that was imputed on us from Adam and Eve is imputed 
from us to Christ, and then Christ's righteousness is imputed on us. And that makes us holy and blameless, above reproach in his sight. That is nothing we work for. We don't work for that. We didn't earn that. It is received by faith in Christ. And I love verse 23 because verse 23 gives us the true evidence of salvation, right? Verse 23 says, If indeed you continue in the faith and are grounded and steadfast and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you heard. So the true evidence of faith is not that we did some religious uh, practice. It's not that we prayed a prayer one day. True evidence of salvation is a life grounded in the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that gospel has the power to reconcile us to God. Now, <clears throat> the Bible teaches us that that's an incredible thing. The fact that God can reconcile, reconcile sinful man to himself through the death of his son is, is incredible. There's no words to describe that. But that is just a small part of God's redemptive plan. There's more to that. The Bible teaches us that, the, that there's a greater implication to the gospel than just a personal one. So looking uh, back again at Colossians 1, and this time we're going to go a few verses up to 15. Here's what Paul says. He says, speaking about Jesus, he says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, for by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things. And in him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the, be- who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. Verse 19 For it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell, and by him, here we go, underline this, to reconcile all things to himself by him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. So there's a lot in that verse. But two major things I want to point out is, one, this verse reminds me, at least for me, I don't know if it does this for you, but this verse reminds me that I am not the center of the universe. Jesus is the center of the universe. How many times does it say all things in that verse? It says all things were created by him and for him. All things are reconciled to him by him. It's all about Jesus. And one of the, one of the dangers of getting caught up in God's only purpose of the gospel is to save me is we lose sight of that. We become the center but this verse reminds us, and Paul's here reminding us, we're not the center. Jesus is the center of all things. And the second thing is, the gospel is not just God's plan to reconcile, himself, reconcile us to himself. God is using the gospel of Jesus Christ to reconcile all things to himself, all of creation. We saw it there in, in verse 20. It says, and by him to reconcile all things to himself. Romans 8, 19, I'm going to read it. You don't have to turn there. It should be on the screen. It says, Paul says, puts it like this. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willing, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation, that's everything created, the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. You see, when sin entered the world, 
It not only corrupted mankind, it corrupted all of creation, right? I mean, this is not, this can't be more evident in our world than today. We look out in the world today, we see famine, we see disease, pandemics, we see deadly wildfires, deadly earthquakes, deadly tornadoes, Uh, we see catastrophic drought and catastrophic flooding, and that's just the first four months of 2020, that's it. We're just describing the first four months of 2020. We've seen all these things. And then you might have heard it said, Christians like to say when they talk about this, oh, we live in a fallen world. And it's very true. We do live in a fallen world. The reason it's fallen is because of sin. It's the result of sin. Now, interesting thing in that verse we just read is that Paul tells us that it was God himself who subjected the creation to futility. And he subjected it to futility in hope. Only God can subject something to futility in hope. And, it, and the creation now eagerly and painfully waits for the revealing of the sons of God. So these things we see, these tornadoes, these natural disasters, all these things, it's, it's really as if, you, um, if you've experienced childbirth and you see the, the pains of childbirth as they, they start little by little and then they, they develop bigger and bigger and bigger. And, and, you know, we just had a baby on March 11th. And uh, my wife always gets the epidural. That's like the first thing before we even go through the, the door of the hospital. Epidural, epidural. But this time, you know, it took a little while and the epidural didn't kick in for a long time. And she, and she, she experienced, and I experienced, never, not even, I'm not even going to claim that I experienced anything that she, that she experienced. But I witnessed these birth pains and she witnessed these birth pains. And it's an incredible thing when you see that. And you read these verses that are like, hey, this groaning in the world is, is these pains, but they're all, it's not death pains, it's childbirth pains. There's something that's coming, and these pains are going to give way to a birth. And in, in our case, these pains are going to give way to the return of Christ. So we see this in the world all around us. The world itself, all of creation is longing for the return of Christ when all things are restored back to him. Now, it's important because it shows that there's a big picture, right? The gospel is not just about God saving me. The gospel is about God restoring all of creation um, to, to, to himself. And that means that we are on a mission. We are a small part of this big mission that God is up to. And the way I can uh, describe it, and it's probably because it's the only live sports we've seen in a long time. Recently, there was the NFL draft, Right? Miami Dolphins got a good pick in the fifth round. I hope so. Uh, but here's what happens in an NFL draft. Right? You have these college athletes that are high prospects, and they've worked hard their whole lives. They've done all these things. And they're in this room, and they're about to get selected to be on this team. And once their name gets called, there's this huge celebration, and everybody's crying, their family and friends, and everybody's there. And they go up, and they put the team hat on. But here's the thing, that is only, although it's a great celebration, it's an incredible thing, that is only the first step because now they're joining a team. And that team is a part of a big organization that is on mission to win a championship, right? And it's just in a similar way, right? God saves us and he chooses us and he saves us and he calls our name and he does this work in our heart where we cry out to him and, and put our faith in him. And the Bible says that when a, when a sinner comes to repentance, there's a huge celebration in heaven, right? The angels rejoice. But that is the first step. You see, we are, 
individually saved, but we're not called to live individual lives. The same gospel that reconciles mankind and all of creation to Christ, that same gospel reconciles us to each other in a covenant community. Right? It's also known as the body of Christ, more popularly, more popularly known as the church. Right? This, this gospel, Jesus has reconciled us to himself, but also reconciled us to each other so we can form this body called the church. And we're being called to this. We've been called to be part of this community, right? We're not, you know, a lot of people say you're not called to live the Christian life alone. That is so true. And it's so important that we get that. And although that might seem like elementary, it's not. We can, it's easy to forget that. We, get, we can get so caught up in the ins and outs of church and ministry and going out and doing this that we f- lose sight of why we do this to begin with. So I'm going to share a couple verses. If you're taking notes, you can write them down. These might not be on the screen they're really, they're, they're, they're going to be quick verses, but these are just some of the verses that uh, describe what this community that we've been called to is supposed to look like, right? So in Romans 12, 10, it says this, be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love and honor it, giving preference to one another. In this community called the body of Christ, called the church, the people honor each other they give preference to one another this shouldn't be like this jockeying for who's better or everybody in the world we see it's like survival of the fittest but in the church is not in the church i consider somebody greater than me they consider me greater than them and it evens itself out and everybody is honored in galatians 6 1 it says brethren if a man is overtaken in any trespass you who are spiritual restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness considering yourself lest you be tempted this is so important. In the body of Christ is restoration. That restoration that Peter experienced, we are called to do for one another. If we see somebody, hey, he's going off the deep end a little bit. He's getting caught up. And it's easy. It's easy in the world we live in to get caught up in trespasses. As the body of Christ, we are to go out and says, you who are spiritual, go out, restore them in the spirit of gentleness. And then we see in James 5.16, it says, Confess your, sin, your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective and fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. And I think that's probably one of the most neglected ones uh, in the church as a whole is that. And the church is a place where we can safely come and confess our sins to one another. Christians should not be holding on to hidden sin. That's the word that's deteriorating and destroys us from the inside out, destroys our families, destroys everything. The church, the body of Christ is a place where if somebody uh, commits a sin or is in living in some kind of sin or caught up in it, they can confess to a brother and a sister and they pray for one another. And the promise there is that you may be healed. Three more, Galatians 6, 2, bear one another's burdens and so follow the Fulfill the law of Christ. This, this body of Christ, this community is bearing each other's burdens. Comfort one another. 1 Thessalonians 5.11. Therefore, comfort each other and edify one another just as also you're doing. How many people out there, especially today, need these two things, right? Bear, we're, we're carrying a lot of burdens. We're walking in discomfort, especially with this whole pandemic. And it's, man, the body of Christ is, I mean, this is where we should thrive, really, where these things should be happening 
And then finally, 1 Peter 4 says, As each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. So God saved us through his grace, and he gave us gifts. And then he calls us, hey, some of you are gifted for this, some of you are gifted to that. As a minister, use these gifts to minister to one another. Now, those are just some of the verses, but if you begin to picture that, picture the church, right, a place where people are honored, where um, there's restoration, where people are confessing sin and they're being prayed for, where burdens are being, uh, people are carrying other people's burdens, where there's comfort for those that are, are going through struggle, and also where people are using their gifts and their talents unselfishly to serve their brother, serve their sister. It's also a place where the widows are taken care of. Older men disciple younger men. They bring them up. Older women, we read about this in the letters to Timothy. Older women raise up the younger women. And the poor are provided for. Sick are prayed over. On and on and on. And I, I believe these scriptures are so important. It's good for us to remind ourselves because we can get caught up in the, like I said, the day-to-day, the week-to-week of church. Like, all right, we're going to, now it's a little different. I, I think God sovereignly somehow, there, if there's anything good that came out of this, it, it's been a, a rude awakening for the church because we've been out of our comfort zone. No more is like, hey, I'm going to come to church, drop my kids off, grab a coffee, I'm going to sit down, I'm going to listen to a great teaching, I'm going to say hi to a couple people, get in our car, go home and do it all over again. Now we're kind of this. Uh, uh, uncomfortable. We've been like, what are we doing right now as a church? But it's important for us to remember that, right? And, and I truly believe as we look out, especially in this country, there's a lot of things that happen under the banner of church. And I'm not going to go into details. I don't want to offend anybody. But here's why we should be passionate about this. Because if we're not doing, we're not living in that covenant community that the Bible has called us to, we are missing out. Right? It's like having an iPhone and just using it to make calls. And you have no idea that this thing has an amazing camera and that you can surf the Internet and you can control your AC and your car and all this stuff. It's like, hey, I have this powerful, this incredible thing, but I'm only experienced just like, oh, it makes good phone calls. And that's, man, if, we, if we're doing church but we're not experiencing the stuff that, that I read and the Bible says that we should be doing, then we're missing out. We're not enjoying the fullness of what Christ has called us to do. And so the gospel reconciles us to Christ, reconciles us to each other, and finally, the last point is the gospel reconciles us so that we may reconcile. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, it'll be on your screen, says this. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Now, I want us to look at, there's a progression in this verse. If you look at the top, it says, anyone in Christ is a new creation, right? Verse 17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ is a new creation. There we see the individual implications of the gospel. If I, if one person is in Christ, he is a new creation. But then it says, 
uh, through Christ that we have been reconciled. He's reconciled us to himself. There we see plural. There's a group. Those individuals that were reconciled to Christ, became new creation, are now together. And then it ends with him saying that he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So, in other words, it'll be, it'll be great if we all gathered every week and when this whole thing is over, like I really can't wait to gather again as a church body. But it'll be great if, if, if we go back to that and everything's, this whole pandemic is over and then we just gather in our church four walls again and uh, we love one another, pray for one another, we confess, we do all those things, and just, but we only keep it there then we are missing out on the purpose of what we've been called to do, right? And, and Jesus is very specific. We're going to talk about that now. But although it'll be great, like this will be an incre- that would be an incredible place to go. But if that's all we do, if we just keep it surrounded in the four walls, then we're missing out. We're, we become more of like a social club or whatever you want to call it than an actual church on mission. And so... We, the church, are the God-ordained means by which the gospel is to spread all over the world, right? So the gospel, we know, is the power of Christ, power of God unto salvation for all men, right? It's through the message of Jesus Christ, people are saved. The means by which this message is going to spread is through us, is through those who are being saved. Those that have been reconciled have been given the ministry of reconciliation. Jesus says it like this in Matthew chapter 5, verse 14. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Now, every time I I see this illustration, I try to envision it in my in my head, but I don't see candles. I see flashlights. You know, maybe we could do candles. But imagine a bunch of candles lighting up a dark room, right? And then it's like, wow, it's so bright here. And then you gather all those candles together and you put a basket over it. Inside that basket, it's nice and cozy and warm and it's super bright. And those candles are probably all just having a good old time. But outside is utter darkness. And Jesus is saying, what's the point of that? If all of you are the light of the world, you guys are all lights to this dark world, and you guys all just gather in these four walls, and then you go from those four walls to your car, and your car goes into your garage, and the door closes, and you do it all over again, what's the point of that? What good is that light unless it's shining? He said he's put it on top of a hill and let that light shine so the world can see it, so your neighbors can see it, your coworkers, your family members. That's the whole person. We've been, God has saved us. He's reconciled us to himself. And he's called us to live in this amazing covenant community. But he's also called us to be the light into the world, to go out and spread the gospel because there is a bigger picture to this. God is not just saving me and saving you. He is restoring all of creation to himself. Amen. Thanks again for tuning in. We pray that you were blessed by today's message. If you'd like to visit us in person, we gather at Don Estridge High Tech Middle School in Boca Raton, Florida, every Sunday morning at 10 a.m. For more sermon content and information, you can check out solaschurch.com.